Welcome to Boosting Your Financial IQ, a podcast for investors, business leaders, entrepreneurs, and individuals looking to transform their organizations and lives through greater financial literacy. I'm Steve Coffrin, and I'll be your guide as you seek to better your financial life. I turn around, grow, and invest in high potential companies, and I'm here to teach you the fundamentals of accounting and finance so you can speak the language of money and act intentionally to drive greater financial value. Are you ready? Let's do this. Thanks for joining me for another episode. Before we get started, remember that this content is for educational purposes and should not be construed as financial or legal advice. See the podcast notes or byfiq.com for a full list of disclaimers, terms, and conditions. Now on to the episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of Fin Weekly, where I provide weekly updates on what's happening in the world of finance and the economy. My name is Steve Coffrin, and today is Wednesday, June 14th, 2023, and we're gonna kick things off by talking about the UK. Amidst the ongoing turbulence in the United States, it appears that the UK is facing its own set of challenges, causing concern among major global companies. These companies are raising complaints about declining investments in the UK, arguing that the uncertain environment created by the UK government's failure to fulfill its post-Brexit promises has made it difficult for investors. It seems like the government lacks a clear plan and that's not sitting well with businesses, as you can imagine. That includes companies like Microsoft as well as tech giants like Alphabet and Apple who have also criticized government policies prompting them to look elsewhere for opportunities, including countries like Germany and France. The UK's high tax burden, outdated regulations, and general lack of government support are posing obstacles for business leaders. The struggling economy, weak stock market, and lack of confidence in the government's growth plans are making an already dire situation that much worse. Industries such as pharmaceuticals, tech, automotive, and renewable energy are particularly feeling the pressure. So should we all be fleeing from the UK? Not necessarily. While there are legitimate concerns, it's crucial to weigh the pros and cons. The UK obviously has its own strengths, but it needs a clear and comprehensive strategy to overcome the hurdles posed by Brexit, regain access to the European stock market, and take its place in the global economic race. Moving on to the auto industry, Tesla's charging network, including its superchargers and the innovative Magic Dock connector, are proving to be a game changer for the company. With an impressive global presence of over 5,000 charger stations and 45,000 charging stalls, Tesla has established its dominance in the EV market, particularly in the United States. In a surprising turn of events, major players like Ford and General Motors have recognized the strength of Tesla's charging network and have decided to get in on the action too. This partnership allows their customers to access Tesla's superchargers and even integrates Tesla's charging port into their own electric vehicles. This not only enhances Tesla's charging network, but also opens up an ongoing revenue stream, potentially generating a hefty $3 billion annually by 2030. Tesla's strategic investment in its charging infrastructure has given it a significant advantage over its competitors, owning a staggering 71% of ultra-fast charger stations across the US. And as more EVs hit the road, the demand for charging infrastructure in the next three years is expected to increase by 28%. 
and the U.S. government has stepped up their interest in EVs too. Through the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Program, they've allocated $5 billion to states for the development of fast charging infrastructure. In line with this initiative, Tesla has committed to opening at least 3,500 new and existing superchargers to non-Tesla EVs. This move underscores Tesla's long-term vision and dedication to fostering the widespread adoption of electric vehicles. Up next, the U.S. government's budget deficit has skyrocketed, no surprise, reaching a staggering $1.2 trillion for the first eight months of this fiscal year. That's a massive 191% increase compared to the same period last year. Just to put that into perspective, friends, the deficit for just the month of May alone hit $240 billion, more than double the deficit recorded in May of 2022. On the revenue side, there has been a decline in non-withheld individual taxes, which encompasses taxes on capital gains. In May, these taxes dropped by a significant $74 billion compared to the same period last year. Looking at the fiscal year as a whole, non-withheld individual taxes have decreased by a substantial $260 billion. So why is this happening? Well, as the economy continues to struggle, there's a direct correlation between the success of businesses and their employees and tax revenues. Less income means less tax revenue, and that is why a growing deficit coupled with decreasing tax revenue is very concerning. It's like this. Imagine a company is losing a ton of money. Instead of cutting costs, government spending, and looking for a way to grow its business, stimulate GDP growth through real economic activity, the company just goes more into debt and accelerates the problem. Well, welcome to the US government and their strategy right now. Pretty crazy, right? These figures shed light on the challenges the US government is grappling with in managing its budget. Why does this matter for the global economy? Well, the widening deficit raises concerns about the long-term sustainability of the country's fiscal position. It underscores the importance of addressing the factors driving higher spending and finding ways to boost revenue in order to narrow the budget gap. It's a complex issue that requires careful attention and strategic planning to ensure a more stable financial future for the nation and possibly the world. Moving on to some inflation news. The latest survey conducted by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York revealed some interesting insights about U.S. consumer views on inflation and their financial situation. It turns out that people's expectation of near-term inflation have actually hit a two-year low. That's not all though, because the median one-year-ahead inflation expectations dropped to 4.1%, which is the lowest reading since May 2021. On the flip side, the same survey also found that consumers are getting more worried about their finances. One of the reasons for this is that accessing credit has become more challenging to consumers. And as a result, many households expect credit conditions to become tighter in the coming year. But it wasn't all bad news, folks. The survey projects that the likelihood of job loss in the next year is at its lowest level since April 2022, which is a really positive sign. This information suggests that the Federal Reserve may decide to maintain its benchmark interest rate at the upcoming policy meeting. The projections by Bloomberg Economics indicates that the headline CPI inflation will slow down to 4% over the next 12 months leading up to May, while core inflation will decrease to 5.2%. 
Moreover, economists at Goldman Sachs anticipate a decline in month-over-month core CPI inflation in the coming months, with used car prices dropping and rental inflation slowing down. They project core CPI inflation to be around 4.2% in December 2023 and 2.8% in December of 2024. But don't hear me wrong, folks. Although reports this week indicated that inflation is increasing at a slower pace, it's still on the rise. In other words, prices continue to increase and our money is purchasing less than before. With the increase in the debt ceiling, a widening of the budget deficit and printing more money, I don't see how inflation is supposed to magically drop. And lastly, unemployment reports have been mixed with more jobs added than expected, but the unemployment rate rising to 3.7%. Policymakers will share updated forecasts for interest rates, inflation, and the unemployment rate at the end of their meeting today, so I'll be sure to keep you posted on any other insights into the economic outlook. Okay, now moving on to consumer spending. Unusual signs point to declining consumer spending. Exactly what signs? Well, slowing production of cardboard boxes seems to be the measure for this. The U.S. paper industry has scaled back production of cardboard boxes, which play a vital role in the supply chain. That's why the paper industry is such a key indicator of consumer demand. The U.S. corrugated product industry is reporting slumping sales with shipments of empty boxes in March down 11% compared to the previous year. This decline is being witnessed firsthand by paper product makers and recyclers. According to one Indiana-based commodity trader, manufacturing has decreased due to inflation putting a damper on consumer spending, resulting in reduced demand for cardboard boxes. He also emphasized that observing the packing industry can provide valuable insights into the overall direction of the economy, and all the current signs point to a consumer slowdown. So what do slumping sales and a slowdown in consumer spending actually mean for the U.S. economy? Well, as inflation continues to drive down the demand for goods, we can expect to see a decline in economic activity, which can lead to possible job cuts and lower overall business revenues. But it's not all doom and gloom. Yes, this trend indicates that consumers may be more cautious with their spending, possibly due to inflation or economic uncertainty, but paying attention to this type of activity serves as an early warning sign of the overall economic health and makes it an ideal time for some type of strategic intervention. On the other hand, despite consumer spending dampening, it looks like people are still looking to enjoy spending their money on experiences. That includes things like cruises, as cruise line stocks have set sail this week with Carnival, Norwegian Cruise Lines, and Royal Caribbean Cruises, who have all seen the biggest surges in booking demand this week since November of 2020. That's all thanks to upgrades from Bank of America and JP Morgan, and it's worth noting that both of these brokerage firms even raised their price targets for these stocks over the next year. This makes me so glad that I bought these stocks during the pandemic when these stocks were in the toilet. And this is why having a good investment strategy is really important so you're not fearful when things like this happen because I knew that overall stocks would come back, especially in the sector. So going back to these analyst upgrades, now why might that be? Well, the obvious answer is that the cruise industry has been bouncing back as pandemic restrictions ease, and despite still being cautious about non-essential spending due to potential recession worries, 
People want to get out and spend time holidaying with their families. From a business perspective, the reason why this works is because the cruise ship business model in this particular industry is designed to benefit from things like long booking periods and sustainable demand, which makes it less vulnerable to a slowdown compared to other travel sectors. The rebound in demand also has broader implications for the economy, including a possible recovery in the travel and tourism sector, which is a huge contributor to the overall economy. Growing interest in cruises also shows that people are still prioritizing travel experiences and are willing to allocate their budgets accordingly, which of course also stimulates economic growth by doing things like supporting job creation and providing a boost to local economies in port cities. Overall, I think that the fact that cruise stocks are outperforming the broader market reflects investors' sentiment and optimism about the sector's recovery. It indicates confidence in the industry's ability to overcome challenges and generate returns for shareholders. The increasing demand for cruises contribute to the broader economic recovery and also provide a positive outlook for the travel and tourism industry. And last but not least on my radar this week, the European Union, the EU, is set to file a formal antitrust complaint against US tech giant Google. This complaint specifically takes direct aim at Google's ad tech business model, which accounts for a staggering 80% of its annual revenue. With Google's ad sales reaching around $225 billion in 2022 alone, this complaint has some pretty substantial economic implications. The EU's move comes after imposing three penalties on Google, totaling a remarkable 8 billion euros, or $8.6 billion. But the actual fines here tend to be less severe. What does matter is what regulators will demand in terms of operational changes within the company. The underlying issue lies in Google's dominant position in gathering valuable user data for targeted advertising, which has raised concerns. The EU is investigating whether Google unfairly hindered competitors' access to user data while prioritizing its own data usage. The outcome of this case could impact not only Google's business practices, but also its financial performance. Despite the legal challenges, Alphabet, Google's parent company, experienced a modest 0.8% rise in its share value. Still, the EU's scrutiny reflects broader concerns about competition and data privacy in the tech industry, making this case a focal point for discussions on fair market practices and economic implications in the digital realm. All right, so that's a wrap for Fin Weekly this week. If you're listening to the audio version of this episode on a podcast, you can get so much more value by downloading our free Boosting Your Financial IQ app in the Apple app or Google Play Store. There you can get access to the video version of Fin Weekly, but also get access to other valuable resources and tools that are within the free version of the app. Okay, I also said a lot of things in this episode where you may be thinking, why should I have faith and hope for the future? Now, I am bullish on the future. I'm optimistic. I think there are a lot of great things that will come out of this. So think about it. There have always been challenges since the beginning of man, and this time is no different from us. Instead of being fearful, though, and putting your head in the sand and ignoring what's going on, that's why I preach financial intelligence. Also, that's why I put on the new podcast called Business Strategy to teach you business principles so you can weather the storm and actually come out of this ahead. So I am optimistic about the future. I think there are a lot of good things to come, but they're only going to come if you go out there and you strengthen yourself during this time. 
So now's the time to build the capabilities that you need in order to be successful for the future that is inevitable and is coming our way. So in order to be resilient, you have to invest in yourself. You have to gain knowledge, you have to build the skills, and you have to have faith. So have faith in the future. Things will be bright. This is just a, a difficult time in our history, but I believe that the future is gonna be full of a lot of great things. So when things are hard, like right now, okay, just have faith and have hope. And trust me, as you go through this, things will improve. So I don't like to be the one who's bringing all this negative stuff to light through Fin Weekly. I can't wait for the day when I talk about how the economy is growing and employment is robust and inflation is at a low point. But right now I have to report on what's going on, but I do this to boost your intelligence so you could be prepared for the opportunities that are right in front of your face. And trust me, regardless of the economic state that we're in, there are always opportunities right before us. We just have to know what to look for. And by having faith and expressing gratitude and moving forward with a positive and abundance mindset, amazing things will happen. Okay, that's enough preaching for today. I'll get off my soapbox, but I just wanted to leave you with those words of encouragement because I do talk about a lot of bad things or negative things that are happening in the economy and in the world. Have a great week. And until next episode, take care of yourself. Cheers. Hey, real quick, if you get value out of this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would leave us a review. Also, if you want to be featured on the show, send me a recording with your name, your age, where you're from, and your question through a voice note or a video using your smartphone. Then email me the file at hello at byfiq.com. BYFIQ stands for boosting your financial IQ. So once again, it's hello at BYFIQ.com. If selected, I'll give you a shout out and answer your question for you and the entire community. One last thing, if you want access to additional resources that will help you fast track your path to financial freedom, visit BYFIQ.com or download our free app in the Apple or Google Play app store today. Thanks again. 